welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. How many are familiar with this? You know what this is? This is the baton. Some, how many are runners? Runners, George, who else? <laughs> George. Oh, Jody, yes. Yeah, in college, Army. Yeah, uh, was outstanding runner. Anyone else running? Runners, runner in the back. Oh, Becca, yeah, and Alyssa. Uh, Megan, is that, is that? Kelly, Kelly, all right. Okay, well, let me tell you. I know what this is, but um, I've never had the opportunity to carry one in a race. When I was in high school, I played a little bit of football, and so we were required to lift weights in the winter and run track in the spring. And uh, they would time us in the 100-yard dash. And the coach literally said this to me. He called me Drust, not Drost. I've been called all kinds, not Drost, Drust, Drist, Drast, you name it. Um, he said, Drust, he said, we don't need a stopwatch for you in the 100. We need a calendar. That's what he said. <laughs> All right. So, However, America has produced some of the greatest Olympic athletes and runners in Olympic history. In 1996, at the Olympics in Atlanta, the United States men's 4 by 100 where they carry the baton. There's 4 by 100 is you have four different runners. They run 100, I believe it's 100 meters, 100-yard dash. Someone help me. Meters? I'm built for comfort, not speed, is all I can say. Okay. But they run 100-something. It's either yards or meters, and they hand this off in the zone. 1996, they're heavily favored to win, but they lost, alas, to the Canadians. Daniel, they lost to the Canadians. Never should have happened. They were a slower team. The USA was heavily favored to win, but they, they struggled to pass the baton cleanly between runners two and three. And the Canadian team won. But in 2016 in Rio, the headlines screamed out, USA women's 4 by 100 Olympic team wins gold after dropped baton. That was an actual headline. Some of you remember that, and I'm sure Jonathan Clooney, who's, who is uh, of Jamaican descent, really knows what I'm talking about. But what had happened in the qualifying race prior to the, the, the run for the medal, the American team, and they had, they had, in fact, one of the women was a five-time gold medalist in Olympic history, one of the greatest track stars in the relay Olympic history. She struggled and dropped the baton as it was being passed to the next runner. The Americans appealed, and sure enough, 
she had been bumped by the Brazilian runner whose foot had clearly stepped on the line and bumped into her, and they allowed the American team to run in the medal round, and the U.S. Olympic women's team, 4 by 100, won the gold even after the baton was dropped. Good intentions without completion equals disappointment. Today I want to share with you about what I believe is a critical juncture for Grace Assembly of God, that the baton is in our hand, and I want to share with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 a theme of this that Paul talked about of generosity that God has put in our hearts and the necessity to complete that so the work of the Lord can be completed. The main idea is that our response to God's will must not only be generous, but it also must be completed. Someone has said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. How many have ever had someone promise you something they meant well and then they never followed through? Let me see that. that that's a hard feeling to get over, isn't it? But someone else said, one good deed of kindness is worth more than a thousand good intentions. The Pennsylvania Dutch, anyone Pennsylvania Dutch here? Anyone? Yeah. Have this proverb. I like this. Kissing don't last, cooking do. I like to say, but put kissing and cooking together, and wow, that's quite a marriage. Who, what guy was clapping? There you go. All right. <laughs> Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth. It was a wealthy church. They were used by God. They were vibrant. They were in a, a major metropolitan city. They were a, a church, uh, a, a city that was a world-class city. They had embraced the gifts of the Spirit, but they had, they had promised, eagerly promised to take, participate in a large offering for the collection of the saints in Jerusalem, and the mother church was now in a desperate need, and Paul put out the word, and the Corinthians responded. God had put something in their heart, but now they were having second thoughts. And Paul writes this about when God puts something in our hearts and the second thoughts that come. I want you to know that second thoughts will come because the aim of the enemy in our lives, Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the sower, that when the seed is first sown, and some of it goes on the wayside, and the birds of the air, and this is what he said they are, he said, and the devil through unbelief comes and begins to attack those seeds. And so they begin to have second thoughts. And so Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 11. And he said this, But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. May God bless his word. And these two chapters, they're really, they're, they're one block. And up and through the first seven chapters, Paul had written to the church at Corinth, second, uh, the, his, it's called 2 Corinthians. And he addressed a host of subjects, but all of a sudden he changes. And he begins to talk about the work that God had entrusted to them and how they had responded, but the need for them to complete that as a gracious response to God's work in their life. And in these two chapters, he uses the word generous and generosity no less than eight times. It's, it's the most concentrated use of the word generous in all of the Scripture. There's no other place in Scripture where there's so many references used because he connects it to the generosity of God towards us and our response toward the Lord. Generosity and finish the work are major themes. Now, maybe you've heard this, the pig and the chicken were going to a church charity breakfast. How many have heard this? And the chicken suggested to the pig that they make a contribution of ham and eggs. And the pig says, not so fast for you, it's only a donation, but for me, it's a major commitment. Now, God is not asking a major commitment that kills us, but he's asking for a major commitment of what's in our heart. And I want to unpack the scriptures with you. My heart and my desire, ever since we believe the Lord put this expansion in our heart, was that this was, was not just a mere building. This is only a tangible expression of what God has done, what he's doing, and what he wants to do. And it's a spiritual ministry. And my heart is that we pass this test. Grace, you have run well. You have run well. Uh, I was so thrilled. We put out the SOS to pray an hour, work an hour, and downstairs was filled yesterday with worker bees. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, um, and, and I, I looked and I was sent some pictures and my response was, boy, this is grace right here. This is grace. You showed up in a terrific way. And I said to the person who sent me uh, some pictures, I said, this is grace. These are the people I want to be in a foxhole with. These are the people that I want to be at the Alamo with. If I'm going to go down... I want to go down for a great cause, and I want to go down for people just like this. And so my, my prayer and my desire and my wish is that we complete what God has put in our heart. My concern is that whenever God puts something in our heart, that the enemy comes. It's not just your thoughts. Understand where they're inspired by. 
And that, like the Corinthians, we have second thoughts and we back away from what we've said that the Lord has put in our hearts. And so as I share this, there's four things I want to share this morning. The first is this, is that generosity flows out of our hearts. Generosity flows out of our hearts. Your notes say 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. That's my mistake. It's 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And Paul wrote this. He said, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testified that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of our participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. He uses some terms there about the Macedonians. He describes them. He's using them. They were in abject poverty. They, the Macedonia region of Greece, had been stripped out by the Roman government. They had stripped out their rich resources. They'd plundered them. They'd used them for their own benefit. And what was left behind, it would be like the coal barons in the early 1900s that's the, and, the, and up leading up to the 40s and 50s, where, where I'm from, my home today is northeastern Pennsylvania, where the coal barons stripped the land, stripped the coal out, and left these huge mountains of sulfurous a byproduct, we called them comb dumps, and they would catch on fire and they would burn for decades and decades and decades. The acid would pollute the streams. It would ruin the environment and there's nothing that could be done with that land. And the Romans had done that and the church of Macedonian was living in that. And so Paul said they abounded in poverty, but they also, could it be, how could this be? They also abounded in joy. And the reason for that is that when Jesus Christ does a work in our life, he becomes the center of our joy. He gives us a joy and a peace, not like this world gives. The best that this world can give is joy and peace that depends on circumstances. But there becomes in us a well of salvation. And God's word says, therefore with joy you shall draw waters. You shall draw waters out of the wells of salvation. So you have this extremely poverty-stricken church, but they're also known for abounding in joy in the Lord. And he said, and generosity. How could this be? Only in God's kingdom. This world does not equate extreme poverty and generosity. This world does not equate extreme poverty and joy and severe affliction. But what we know is this, that generosity has nothing to do with circumstance, but everything to do with our heart relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he used Jesus as our example. And he said, church, I want you to look at Jesus. I'm asking you to 
complete this. I'm talking about being generous. And he said, he became poor for our sake so that we, that's you and I, can become rich in the Lord. The second thing I want to share with you is this, is not only does generosity flow from our hearts, it's the overflow of our hearts. In fact, um, generous can be defined as willing and liberal in giving away one's time, money, resources. But it also means to be free from pettiness in character and mind. And pettiness in character and mind, Proverbs talks about it this way. Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 26, it says that the liberal soul make, will be made fat. And fat, fat in those days was a desirable quality. Uh, I would be highly desired back then. <laughs> all the exercising, all the low-fat diets, veggies and green stuff, they'd say, you must, only be, you must be poor if that's all you can eat. The liberal soul will be made fat, but he that withholdeth tendeth to poverty, and he that watereth, he himself will be watered. That's in God's economy, see. And so generosity, generosity is a matter of the heart, and it means free from this pettiness in character. Pettiness in character means that we are resentful. We are resentful when it comes to expressing in a tangible way what God has placed in our hearts. It means that we might be a bean counter, but it also means to be full or to be plentiful. It's an overflow. The second thing I want to share with you is a generous, that what God does, what Paul was talking about, was a generous undertaking. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 and 19. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abounded this gracious work also. And then verse 19, and not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. The ministry that God gives to us as a church but as individuals, is a generous undertaking. All ministry requires generosity of time. All ministry requires that we administer it the way that Jesus Christ has administered his grace to us. God's word says, unless the Lord build the house, we labor in vain that build it. It's a generous undertaking, what God has asked us to do, gen now, to expand. It's not about us, but it's about them. In your program and bulletin this morning in the notes, the future is now, it's here. The future is now, it is here. It is about our kids. It is about the ministries of the church. I marvel at the Lord this past year, and I look at different ones that are new to the church and what God has done for them. I'm just 
continually blessed beyond measure. But when I see our kids, and at the end of the message today, you're going to see a video of college kids uh, saying thank you to Grace. It'll, I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you, it just blesses me, absolutely fills me up. But the future, the future is now. We've determined at Grace that the future is not about, that. it's not that the children and youth are the future of the church. They're the church right now. Where would we be without children and youth? I, when we first started the ministry, the first three churches that we candidated for, the first two didn't want me. And uh, some of you would probably say, well, I can understand that, but just keep that to yourself. They only had 25 people. And uh, one was in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, you know, where the airplane went down. Hey, maybe I dodged the bullet. I don't know. But they didn't want me. The second place we went, uh, I, I, I wanted to go anywhere, anywhere the Lord wanted me to go. They only had 25 people. And so back then when you candidated, they wanted to see what you could do. So I was in charge of the service. But they, they were financially, they were in... Uh, they were having difficulties, and I, I was so anxious to preach, I forgot to take the offering. <laughs> they didn't vote me in. <laughs> Probably a good thing. The third place was a mountain church. They had 25 people. And we had a wonderful service. They were excited, and, and I interviewed with the board. There was a lot of things that you know, I thought, we can handle this. But there was one thing God's put in my heart, as long as I can remember. And I said, men, it was a, it was a leadership team of all men, I said, my real heart is to have ministries to children and youth because the growing edge of the church are parents with kids in school. Or that's the growing edge of the church. That's what God's put in my heart. And I'll never forget that church. They had $10,000 in the bank. They had a bad attitude about it. And when I mentioned that, I'll never forget what they said. They said, well, preacher, you need to know. We're not too keen on those ministries because nickels and dimes don't pay the light bills. The light switch in my heart, that was an easy decision. It was turned off. The future is now. It's right here. But I want to encourage us. What God has put in my heart is that we don't settle just for what's happening in here. For our kids and our ministries and what, who God is bringing to us. But the future is all. It's also out there. It's out there. It's the reason we did the party in the park and we do Fam Jam. And I was delighted last night to know that I saw on Facebook some of the pictures of Remix Youth with, with Pastor uh, Bobby, and I, and, uh, and I believe Amber was there because I saw little Isaiah. They had 15 of the kids 
they partnered with Extreme Family Outreach with the balloon guy. You remember the balloon guy, Steve, that was here on Fam Jam. And they're ministering over in Edgewood. They're ministering over there to kids, for the most part, that aren't connected with any church. Because I believe that's where God wants us to go, to take the good news of the gospel. Because we can't measure the harvest by what's in the barn, but we have to measure by what's out in the fields. So the future is not only here and now, and so you've heard me say, don't settle for that it's really good, but saddle up for what is great. Saddle up for what God has for us. The Great Commission. So it can be said for future generations and for those out there, we've passed the baton. We've got a a video right now of the Dean family. And they came here, and a lot of you will know who they are, but just watch this. Let it bless you. Hey, Grace. I'm Brett. This is my wife, Heather. We have three children, Abigail, Nathaniel, and Henry. Uh, we came to Grace over 10 years ago. Uh, Abby was just eight. Uh, Nathan was six and Henry was just a couple months old. We came to the Wednesday night ser service purposely so that we could see what the kids programs were like um, and to see really what the heartbeat of the church was, was like in a small group setting. Um, we were not disappointed. Grace is outrageously generous. Uh, we connected immediately with Pastor Rob and Julie and the kids program. Abigail and Nathan have graduated from Kids Blast program and moved on to youth and and now college, um, but the impact is there between both ministries. They have been utilized by Julie and Rob to minister uh, to children and in the Kids Blast program, um, as well as in youth group, fine arts, Royal Rangers. There's just so many defining moments on how grace has impacted our children. Through the powwows even, Henry went to a powwow where Nathan Hawthorne and some of the Grace men were leading worship and came home and wrote um, a song um, to Pastor Bobby preaching a sermon and the Holy Spirit speaking to my daughter and giving her a poem. Um, the ministries here have mentored and sharpened our children in ways that I wouldn't have thought possible. And for that, we are truly grateful because you know, Jesus says, let the little children come unto me and hinder them not. And what you do for the least of these, you do for God. So I am thankful that Grace has um, treated our children like they were their own. In, in giving, you know, has always been something that, that I think we've seen throughout our marriage and throughout our lives has, has been, you know, has been faithfully rewarded. You know, the provision has been there. And um, we've always we've always been able to you know to, to kind of meet you know meet that challenge. You know it's it's not always easy. It's it, a lot of times it stretches us, but it's always you know it's always been you know God is faithful, so He's always He's always met that. Again, like Brett said, faith is about obedience. Um, it's not about um, getting glory for yourself. It's about being faithful with what God has given you. So you might not have a large income, you might not have a, a whole lot, but God does know what you have, 
He does know what is coming to you, so you can trust him um, with what he tells you, even if it's out of your comfort zone. Uh, I would just encourage you to give to Grace. Um, it is a fertile ground um, for souls, uh, for families and children, um, for, for married couples and young adults. Wow, that is so gratifying. I just want to take a nap. No, I'm serious. A nap in, wow, that is so good, I can rest. Now, I want to say thank you to the deans, and they represent so many of you. That story is replicated, and uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience, and that we have people to give that can give testimonies. We thank God for it. So Paul said, then, God's put this in your heart. The third thing he says is now finish doing it. Finish doing it. This is not a time to take a nap. We can rest. I believe if we stood before the Lord, that God would say to us as a whole, as a church, well done, good and faithful. Well done. But he's not, we're not there yet, are we? One day we'll stand before him. So finish, Jesus said, I must finish his work. God calls you and me to finish what he started in and through us. So Paul said this in verse 11. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Finish doing it so that our step of faith can be turned into action. He went on to say, he used the words in one version about this, he said, so there'll be fair balance. So he said that church at Corinth, he said the church at Macedonia is so poor, but they've begged for the opportunity to give. He said, now you give, so there'll be a fair balance. We like to say not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So that all can participate whether you're young or old, whether you're widow or wealthy, it all adds up. It's what God has put in our heart. It's the overflow of our heart. Last year, last year, we had, as we began to tally the steps of faith that you've taken, they, there was a, a, a wide range. There were, there were kids and some teenagers that took a step of faith, and uh, they're faithfully giving. Some was at, at 2,000, some was 20,000 for a total of three years, some was five, 10,000, uh, there was others was 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, even 100,000 over three years. 
And what's important is that it's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. That's why Jesus talked about the widow and the wealthy people that were there. And they're outside and they're in the temple. And it used to have these, these metal receptacles made of like bronze or brass. And they were sort of shaped like a funnel. And they, they were like this, and they go down a long way. And so some of the wealthy men would come, and they'd grab a handful of coins, and they'd like throw it in there. You know, remember the old, um, when you used to go through the toll booths? How many remember that? Yeah, yeah. Any of you ever like to just throw it? If it's cost a dollar, you'd put in like, you know, like 20 nickels like there, take it. You know, it's like, you know, that's what they'd do. And they'd stand around this little old poor widow. And in that day, just like in ours, often if you're if you don't, not a person of means, if you don't have a great job, if you're poor, you're old, you're single, no matter what it is, if, if you're not powerful and don't have influence, our culture says you don't count for much. But I'll tell you, in God's kingdom, the tables are flipped upside down. And this... Little widow, she came over, and I could just see her sort of hunched over. And the reason I can see that, because the town I grew up with was filled with immigrants from Italy and from Poland and, and from Russia who came over to work in the deep coal mines. And I'd watch them when we'd go downtown, and we'd make fun of them as kids. We just were kids, that's all. They'd be dressed in black, and they'd have the, like the, the black thing over and they go to Danny's market and they go in and, and they knew that the butcher behind the market would save bones for them so they could make sauce with it. And they'd have these black Converse or Keds sneakers on and they cut holes out for their bunions. Yeah. And even in the summertime, they're wearing these dark dresses with black socks and we'd make fun of them, you know, and oh, they're really not cool. They're not with it. I'm just... The longer I live, I think they reached the place in life they could care less what anyone else thought. You know what I'm saying? But this woman went over and she took that little widow's mite and she reached up and it dribbled down in and they're thinking, oh, she's nothing. And Jesus said, she's given more than all of you. Because it came, she gave not from her abundance, but she gave for what was in her heart. And that's what God asks us to do, to give from what's in our heart, not just what we can afford, but what God puts in our heart. There have been several times when God has asked me and my wife to respond in faith to something and we couldn't afford it. But it's not about whether we can afford it or not. It's about, Paul said that, but God is able to provide. God, what do you want me to do? You ask me, God, to do something. A ministry, a response. The Lord called me to the ministry when I'd gone a year to Penn State and my, my sight, my focus was fixed on a certain profession. It was, I had dreamed about this. This is what I wanted to do and I knew I'd be good at it. And the, uh, one night he asked me to go into the ministry full time. And that 
call was so strong that immediately I never even, I've never looked back. I've never said, oh, oh, look what I gave up. No, it's counted all joy. And when God asks us to do something, it's often not what we can afford and not what's convenient, but he's asking that so that he can do a work in us and that we can also be part of a generous work of what he's doing. So Paul said, finish it. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. The last thing I want to share with you is God rewards the generous giver. I can't get away from it. He rewards the generous giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 10. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make, and God is able. Would you say that with me? God is able. God is able. To make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God rewards the generous giving. First thing is we pass the test of the ministry that God has entrusted to us. It doesn't get done by saying, well, let the other people do it. But what it gets done with when we go for the gold is when the whole team is saying, like the Macedonians, they begged earnestly, we want to be on the team. We want to be on the team. Paul wrote so eloquently of the law of sowing and reaping. He said that when we sow sparingly, we reap so sparingly, but when we sow liberally, we reap liberally. I remember one time there's an individual and they gave, it was a pretty big sized donation. And they had this idea. They had this idea somehow that God is an ATM machine and if you put in X amount of dollars, you're gonna get more back. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, wouldn't that be great all the time, you know? And after a couple of months, he came and said, I'm not giving anymore. And I said, why is that? He said, because it doesn't work. I said, what doesn't work? He said, I thought if you gave that it would turn in, I'd get more money back. And I said, no, I really, that's not the way it works. God's able to bless us with every blessing in abundance. And I've been, I'm 60-some years old, and I can tell you it does work. But if we insist on wealth only being measured according to a nation's values that's only 200 and some years old, that's America, how we measure wealth is always by the size of your paycheck and your, and, your, and your house and your car and what you wear. And how many know that none of us can put that in our casket and take it with us? How many know that? But wealth has to do with joy and peace. It has to do with families around our table. It has to do with the blessings of the Lord. It has to do when we hear a testimony of a family, I just want to lay down and take a nap. It has to do with Abraham. It said uh, when he was old and he was old and he was full of years, 
he was able to lay his head down and be at rest. We thank God for that. And so God is able to provide with every blessing. And then Paul wrote that he will enrich you in every way which will produce many thanksgivings to God. You will be enriched in every way and produce many thanksgivings to God. We're going to show a video right now, and I want the band to come as we're showing this. And uh, um, it's a repeat of last Sunday night, but it's so good. I had to do it this morning again. Let's watch it. My name is Sarah. I'm a sophomore here at Liberty studying worship leading. Um, I just want to say thank you for so many opportunities to help me grow in my faith and just to give me opportunities to reach people and serve others. Thanks. Hi, this is Peter Stoffer. I'm currently a junior at Liberty University. I've been at Grace for my entire life and I just want to thank the church for the profound impact that they've had on me throughout my entire childhood until now, um, specifically through the Royal Ranger programs and Remix Youth. So thank you so, so much. Hi Grace, this is Tyra. I go to the University of Delaware right now and I'm studying civil engineering. I just want to thank Grace for all it's done. I definitely would not be where I am today if it wasn't for Grace. Grace has been such an influential part of my life. I just want to thank you. So thanks Grace family. Hello there, my name is Hunter Bikki and I am a mechanical engineering student at Geneva College. I just want to thank Grace Assembly of God for investing in me and encouraging me in my education. Freshman here at Liberty University studying pastoral leadership. I'm so thankful for all that Grace has done to help propel me into the life that God has called me to live. Grace has provided so many great opportunities through so many great ministries. I'm just so thankful for it. I look forward to seeing you all soon. God bless you. My name is Noah White. I am a college senior at Southeastern University. I study psychology. And I joined Grace Assembly probably about five years ago, I think. Uh, I was about 16 years old. And I, I started with the youth group and then worked my way into the services. Um, but anyway, I, I'm really thankful for uh, the church family that I made here at Grace. Uh, they helped me through a lot of things in my life and uh, I'm really thankful for how God used them to encourage me and to help me uh, obtain opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have joined Grace Assembly. I wouldn't be here at Southeastern pursuing this degree in psychology if it weren't for my family at Grace Assembly. Hi church family, it's me Abby. I miss you all so much. I'm here in my dorm at Liberty University. I'm studying nursing and a cognate of global studies. I just wanted to say thank you so much for um, impacting my life and letting me volunteer and just be a part of the Grace community. I love you all so much and I'll be back real soon. Hi, my name is John, and I'm currently studying pastoral ministry at North Point Bible College. I just want to thank Grace so much for the investment that they made over the years of just discipling me and helping me grow in my walk with Christ. I wouldn't be where I am without Grace, so thank you for everything you do. Hey guys, this is Josh Smith. I'm currently a student at Liberty University. I'm studying pastoral leadership, and I just want to personally thank everybody at Grace Assembly of God who has invested so much in me, who has invested so much across the board with all the youth students, all the kids. It really means a lot and it matters a ton. There's a tremendous impact, so thank you so much. Hey, Grace Bel Air, what is up? My name is Charles and I truly love 
Grace Assembly of God. This place really had a huge impact in my life and I have huge thanks and shout outs to the pastoral staff and really just to all the, the families that make Grace the church that it is. You know, I, I was a tender of Grace from sixth grade all through college and in all the years there, I just was believed in and I was nurtured and cared for and it really had an impact on my life. You know, that's a huge reason why I am where I am today as I now found myself being a pastor and doing to young people what was done to me at Grace. So keep on believing and investing in the next generation because it really does matter. Praise God. It abounds to many thanksgiving to God. Praise His name. And I, what I like is everyone that is, uh, you're, you've been through the ministries at Grace and uh, your college age. Uh, would you just stand right now? Um, just, I, we want to recognize you. There's everyone. You don't have to be in college. You're college age. You're serving the Lord. Just stand. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we have Nate here. Oh my goodness, he leads our ranger uh, kids, or no, Discovery, Discovery Rangers, and let's, let's see, uh, Ben is in the back, uh, Samuel, you're still in high school, all right, but we'll call you out today, and Tom uh, is also, I believe, in high school, and, and uh, we thank the Lord for it, Julie, of course, just graduated, is teaching school, graduated from Liberty, and uh, uh, Joel's a little bit of a late bloomer as far as grace goes, but we'll take it. All right. Let's just give them a hand. Yeah. Yes. God bless you, and you may be seated. Okay.